The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. blossoming of flowers being chased by the harsh winds of winter. But soon it becomes spring again, and I tell you which were the best and worst films of the last year. My guests are Anthony Malone and Chris Arnsby, and we're indoors, in Chris's house, enjoying his sofa. Hello everyone! Hello! Hello Jeremy! Oh, it's a full house today. <laughs> yes, it's lovely. I was tempted, in fact, um, I, I, I have all my notes on my phone, I tried to print them off, but unfortunately... Uh, I didn't. And I was very tempted to bring a clipboard and then have you two sit in a row and then do the whole thing with Michael Parkinson. Alright. That would have been great, wouldn't it? Um, yes, almost certainly. Let's, let's do it next year. <laughs> and then we can have Michael Bublé come on and sing a song halfway through. Is well, he... one of us would have to be Kenneth Williams, and and you could you could uh, if it was Parky circa nineteen seventy five, then you'd have to be uh, uh, being slightly patronising to Helen Mirren. And mm. he's, would... he actually was. Oh, he's, he was he he's was... been doing a mayor culpo about his yeah his sordid past. And to be honest, with you, he's not that bad. He's just you know he just finds a really attractive on that clip. And... Uh, he's making an arse of himself. If he, yeah, he's making an arse of himself. He really is. He should, uh, but that's parky shtick, really, isn't it? Well, it's the end of the film year. It's time to look back on all the things that are great. And what a, what a good year 2017 <laughs> was for the world. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't remember a, a more, more excellent year myself. We're all alive. We've all got our health. And that's about it. <laughs> that's, all, that's all you want, really, isn't it? Well. Now. Get with the program, Jeremy. <laughs> crying out loud. Forgot, what is this? Dead air. <laughs> this isn't live. <laughs> Be kicking in with the emergency music. That's right. So whoever is editing right, this, okay. Jeremy's just putting his trousers back on. That's a good dump on the coffee table. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's the last time you're coming back here. Because um, I asked, had to get your list of films that you'd seen, Anthony. Oh, okay. From Twitter. Okay. Um, now, I looked at your list earlier, Chris. Oh, did you? Okay. Yes, because you left it lying around. <laughs> yes, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. And <laughs> it's not meant to be a secret or anything, except maybe for number nine. <laughs> Hang on, let's have a quick check. Oh, yeah, that is terrible. Mm. What, what, what? That's actually the only film of you, that you've seen that I haven't. And, Anthony, you've seen two or three that I haven't, so why don't we talk about those first? Oh, okay. So, Chris... What excuse do you have for paying to see Geostorm? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're the guy who went to see Geostorm. Yeah, sorry. So. I, I'm, ah. I'm the person that's funding Joe Butler's career, apparently. Uh, I took two people along to see it as well. Oh, for God's yeah. sake. <laughs> Demand a skywalker uh, They're making a, probably making a sequel now. Um, it, I like bad weather films. I really like The Day After Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. It. And this one, I saw the trailer. You've Twister. Oh, yes. Twister's yeah. good. Twister is a very, very odd film. Yes, it I is. Mean, I mean, I would, would argue, actually, that, that Twister 
stands as a candidate for cinema limbo in its own right because there's a lot of very an early Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. Oh, yeah, that. that's true. But a lot of weirdness that comes as well from trying to squeeze a traditional kind of goodies versus baddies action film into a film about tornadoes. Yeah. Um, and in that film, the tornado is sentient. Yes. Oh, it's yeah. It's definitely coming to get the mm. the um, uh, uh, Bill Paxman as he tries to patch up his rubbishy Bill Paxman. Bill, Bill Paxton. Bill the Paxton. Video game. Uh, he's trying to patch up his marriage with uh, Helen Hunt. Mm. Yeah. Um, the Geostorm, what about Anyway, that? Geostorm. So, bad weather film, lots of special effects. I should have learnt my lesson from when I went to see 2012, which wasn't nearly entertaining enough. Um, it, yeah, you kind of... Uh, oh, dear. Um, I thought it was going to be fun. It's not terrible. And I think, you know, I've actually put the word good and then a question mark after it. Because if you go into it with low expectations, it's actually better than you think it's going to be. And there's a couple of sequences that are actually quite nice. The world is attacked by ironic weather. So Dubai, which is in the desert, gets flooded by tidal waves. And uh, I think it's Rio, which is hot, gets hit with uh, blizzards and snowstorms and the place freezes instantly and they're running through the streets of Rio with frozen seagulls falling out of the sky and shattering, which is actually surprisingly effective. It's just a shame about the rest of the film. Would you recommend it on its own terms? If it's on TV and you're not actually giving anybody any money... It's such a low bar. I know, I know. I wouldn't... It's the classic example of a film I wouldn't suggest... If you can watch it in a way that doesn't pass money onto the people involved, <laughs> then do so. But yeah, I, I couldn't in all good conscience say that it reaches the dizzy heights of the day after tomorrow. Right. Well, with that ringing endorsement in our ears... Yes, I can't say I was, I was a bit running to, uh, to see it. Um, and now I'm even running, <laughs> running, <laughs> running, running, running backwards. backwards. <laughs> Reverse backwards on uh, now, Anthony, on your list, you've got a film called Dunker. Oh, yes. So, well done that. Um, but you've actually got one film on here that I've not heard of, which is The Villainess. So, what's that? Ah, about? well, The Villainess is, um, I believe it's a, uh, a Korean film that came out um, last year and recently came out on DVD. And it is um, essentially the Black Widow movie that Hollywood should be making but isn't. It is about a woman who is trained to be uh, an assassin and goes around killing people and beating them up. And it being um, a a Korean film, it's got some really weird um, clashes of tone. It's got some very, very cartoony but bloody violence. It's got some amazing technical... The the one thing that everyone will say coming out of the film and has been all all over the, the reviews of this is the the sword fight on the motorbikes at 90 miles an hour, um, which is amazing. And it's all, well, it looks like it's one shot and the camera is going in and out and down into the wheels and watching people spin and backflip and then the the heroine zooms away. (laughs) So um, the story is not brilliantly original. It's a young girl, sees father, gets killed horribly, ends up being um, trained by people to seduce and destroy essentially um you're seeing iterations of that at the moment in things like red sparrow and and all of that but it's a very stylish uh film if you like your korean cinema um 
uh, or Asian action cinema in general, then um, definitely recommended. It's uh, the only other drawback I say about this film is that uh, its use of flashbacks is really confusing because it, it goes in very seamlessly to a flashback, so you don't quite know. Hang on a minute, where's this bit come from? Until that bit resolves itself and you're back out into the the main narrative, you think, oh right, so that's all part of her childhood. So um, very stylish. Uh, would I recommend it? Yeah, I would. Good. What about um, life? <laughs> now, now, uh, now that's either the um, alien knockoff or yeah. the Eddie Murphy comedy about prison. It's the it's not the alien. It's not the Eddie Murphy film. Although I wouldn't mind mashing those two films up. Um, it's definitely the um, the alien knockoff. Now, this is where I I nuke my credibility because I thoroughly enjoyed this film. And bear in mind, uh, was it last year that it was the year of Alien Covenant, or was it? Yeah, it was. We will talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't think I put that on my list, but I did see that. And I saw Life. Um, was it before or after Alien Covenant? I suspect it was just before, because the expectation was, oh well, Ridley Scott will, he's he's altered course away from uh, Prometheus, and it's going to be more Alien esque. So um, he's, he's going to clearly get his senses back with Alien Covenant and uh, progress the story. And I wondered what, ha- what would happen with Elizabeth Shaw. And as we will discuss, things turned out very differently with uh, Alien Covenant. Life is the, um, how can I put this, the Sainsbury's own brand cola of, um, it's, it's the Diet Coke version of um, Alien and every, every other uh, knockoff. It's incredibly derivative. Um, there's nothing new in it. I believe the ending is even. This is. I. I want to say it's slightly ripped off from Source Code, but it's got. It's got a twist. Twist ending right at the end. Oh yeah. Chris so, is trying to say something. No, no, no. Sorry. For some reason, you were talking about people running around on the spaceship, and I realised a film I've missed off my list. But I'm sure we'll come to it later. What is it? Uh, the Cloverfield Paradox. That ah, doesn't count, doesn't it? That's a 2018 film. Yeah, uh, okay. I, can't, I, I can't okay. keep track of this system. So. This crazy year thing. We'll get the hang of it sooner or later. Um, but I was watching uh, Life, and I it's got a really cracking um, CGI monster in it that evolves very quickly from a, a single cell they find on Mars and goes bananas. Um, and I just thoroughly enjoyed it. It's meat and potatoes. Mm. It's um, it's pure B-movie. I also suspect this is the sort of film that, uh, and possibly even Geostorm actually, it exists because Framestore in London worked out the physics of how to blow things up in space. And they did this for gravity. So once they figured out all the particle physics and the collision stuff, yeah. you're suddenly seeing lots of satellites blowing up and um, sp- the International Space Station being attacked by monsters and they can do it properly. Yeah. So now they've got that app, they're just bolting it into every B-movie and putting it out there and saying, this is now a go, we can do this. It'll probably turn up in Doctor Who at some point. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, they'll do the sort of the Windows version of uh, the, the fancy app and they'll render it in a day. <laughs> Wonder Wheel. Uh, this is a mistake. I... I um, I haven't seen the whole of Wonder Wheel, and, and I know a couple of things about it. The one thing that really disappointed me about it, and was a warning sign, was the um, uh, the casting of Juno Temple. And I thought, oh, Woody, this is the ingenue of the week, um, and 
you're going to need to up your game, frankly, at the moment and come out with a few more blue jasmines. Mm. Wonder Wheel is, is uh, if, if you've seen Annie Hall and there's a joke about him living underneath mm. the um, uh, road coaster in Coney yeah. Island, it's that extrapolated up to film level. Um, rather depressingly, it's got Kate Winslet in it as the um, downtrodden mother figure who I think has a, an affair with Justin Timberlake um, who, guess what, wants to be a, a playwright. Um, oh, really? Yes, yes, he wants to... Uh, so, standard woody territory, um, nothing that you haven't seen anything before, although I'm sure it turns into Tolstoy by the end. Um, but it has a really nice poster, but nothing more really gets my juices going. Mm. Um, I have to say, though, with Blue Jasmine, it's the performances that sell our film. It's got a, a stellar performance from Kate Blanchett. Mm. Um, all the other cast are really good in that film. Um, Alec Baldwin's really great and slimy. But actually, the script, mm, not so sure. We'll have to see what happens to Woody Allen. Molly's game. Oh. <sighs> Keep it short. Oh, God. Where, um, where do I start? Um, you can just be dismissive if you want. I mean, you can go into the. Okay, Aaron Sorkin. Films to talk about. We've only got three hours. <laughs> I could talk about this film an awful lot. I'm really angry about this film. Aaron Sorkin's first directorial attempt to, uh, and and his um, write one of his own scripts. First of all, uh, this isn't a film. This is an audio book which just happens to have some visuals attached to it. And it's her book, by the way, called Molly's Game. Um, it is. It's got the standard Sorkin. Um, uh, writing ticks. So if you've seen the way people talk in The West Wing mm-hmm. or The Social Network or indeed how Demi Moore talks in A Few Good Men, you've seen this film. There's no one to root for in this film. Um, they're all horrible. I want them gone and locked up. But it, even, if even if you think the characters are horrible, is there no one interesting or compelling enough? Because no. Because my, my argument is Hannibal Lecter is not a nice person. But he's but interesting. Absolutely. What he's doing. And the answer is no. And the and the reason I can say that quite firmly is because the film is pitched as a uh, semi counselling session between uh, Molly Bloom, who runs a um, who is a notorious madam of of the poker world in Hollywood, and her father, who's played by Kevin Costner, who I always like to see in in sporting character roles, and he basically uh, is a. Um, uh, her father and is a, a therapist and he's filming her from uh, youth talking about her opinions and all of this so throughout the whole thing it's basically about a therapy session with Molly Bloom there's a scene at the end of the film where he appears out of nowhere literally out of nowhere and starts counselling her and it's it's honestly like it's a magic he's just popped into <laughs> yeah she goes skating in the middle of New York City and suddenly her dad's standing there. And I thought, oh, this is, this is weird. He'll be some ghost fantasy thing. No, he's just appeared <laughs> in the middle of the entire city. Um, Jessica Chastain I've got a problem with because I find her very cold. Um, she's, uh, she's, she's delivering the lines that Sorkin gives her to say. I find this a misandrous film. It is championing women by slagging off men left, right and centre. And... The only good male character in this film is the Idris Elba character. Um, uh, there's also got a major problem because in Molly Bloom's actual book, she can mention all the people that were in the poker sessions, but in this film, no. So when it's actually an inadvertently hilarious moment when Molly says her poker sessions were filled with famous film stars, and she says, "I'll call this one 
um, Player X. Player X is played by Michael Serra. <laughs> and you just think, really? It's not Harrison Ford, is it? <laughs> that's, that's not quite that fantastic, is it? Um, a big disappointment. There is a film on that list, uh, which we'll get to, which does everything right, which Molly Gaines did wrong. American Made? No. I, Tonya. Just, Justice League? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, we'll, we'll get on to that. We'll get on to that. Um, what did you think of American Made? Uh, uh, Tom Cruise has obviously seen Narcos and thought, oh, I'll, I'll have a bit of that. And that's about it, really. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. What about Justice League? Uh, um, have you seen Justice League? No, uh, everybody said it was terrible, so you think, I'll pass, thanks. I think Batman vs Superman is worse. Oh, okay. Um, that's a real headache for film. This is just um, uh, incompetently put together. Um, more salacious. We talked about this on a, a previous we podcast. We talked about this on your episode, yeah. yeah. You basically thought this was a load of shit. Yes, I did. <laughs> I mean, I, and that's the technical term for what I thought of this. I, it's... I would have watched this if it had been out on uh, DVD before now. Yeah. Um, because this is the first Batman film. I paid the money to see I, this. It's the first Batman film that I've skipped in cinema since Batman Forever. Yeah. That was over 20 years ago. Hmm. I used to be so excited about... I mean, I was excited to go and see the Christopher Nolan Batman films. Now, not not interested in at all. Um, the the shots of Wonder Woman are really questionable. I I, I mentioned again to Jeremy on a previous podcast. There's a there's a very obviously deliberate moment from Joss Whedon, where um, uh, the credits are played over a cover version of a really depressing song about how and it's all about how Superman's died and, and all this, and it pans past a homeless guy, and um, Joss Whedon's name comes up as, I think it's something like co-writer, and then it pans past the homeless guy, and the homeless guy's holding a sign saying, I tried. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, wow. Yeah, that's Joss saying, "Mm." he's been surprisingly quiet about this film. Mm. He, I think that's a business choice for him. He's keeping his own counsel. Although, um, the Batgirl film he was supposed to be doing has been shut down because he couldn't think of a story. Maybe they should get a woman to write it. I don't believe that for a second. I think, again, that's a political manoeuvre. At the moment, it's hard to know what DC yeah, are doing. Yeah, it's a big, mean, big vortex. They're doing this Shazam film, which is, seems to be basically Banana Man without the jokes. Well, it's it's big, but the superhero version, isn't it? It's that's like, Banana oh, Man. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shazam, Shazam is the next film in the series, then, is it? No, Aquaman's coming out this Christmas, and then Shazam's coming out Easter 2019. Aquaman was horrible in Justice League. Yeah. Um, I don't know it. Oh God! I mean, the thing that makes me really wonder what on earth they're doing. Do you know what's coming out the same day as Aquaman? Uh, Mary Poppins Returns, oh. which is going to flatten it. It will do, yeah. Yeah. I it, I want to see Mary Poppins Returns. I'm excited yeah. about that. Big fan of I think it's being made by people who really care. Mm. It's got Lin Manuel Miranda writing the songs. It's got Dick Van Dyke playing. The son of really, oh, he's, he's playing. Wow. He's not playing. He's not playing son of Bert. He's playing Mr. Dawes Junior. Oh my God! Because he was Mr. Dawes Senior in the original. Now he's the son who was in the previous film as well, but is now playing his real age. I feel dizzy. Yeah. <laughs> I think with um, it's Jason Mo Jason Momer is it? Jason Momar. Yeah. I think um, there's just a lot of people um, in Hollywood at the moment who just fancy the pants off him. So they just think, we want to either make, turn him into Conan or turn him into Aquaman because uh, sex will sell. Um, but 
he's he was just horrible in in Justice League. Not as horrible as the um, the Flash, who's um, got the the um, uh, attention deficit uh, oh. disorder thing of um, half of Buffy's yeah. supporting characters. Um, Wonder Woman gets more shots of um, her bottom and her legs, um, and is sold as the the pacifying diplomat. Um, ben Affleck doesn't want to be there. Ben and Frankie Nordy dying. Ben Affleck really doesn't care he, anymore, does he? <laughs> he, he? Yeah, you definitely feel some radiation coming off that guy at the moment. So. I really wonder what's going to happen about this proposed um, standalone Batman movie that they keep talking about that Matt Reeves is supposed to be working I think Matt Reeves is a good choice for that kind of thing. Having done Cloverfield and um, the... Um, the, the, planet, the last two Planet of the Apes movies. You have to get stellar reviews to get me interested again in I would, I would go and see it, I think, based on the fact that it's Matt Reeves. But I would be very surprised if Ben Affleck is playing Batman in that film. I've heard that they're lining up other people. Mm. He was, uh, you know, Oscar for Argo. Who? Well, no. What? For producing Argo, not for directing. Oh, well, oh, okay. But he did it's a big speech good. at the Oscars saying, thank you very much, this is my second chance, and I know it's so rare. And then what did he do? Um, it, it's, it's all crashed and just, burned. Just go and direct films. He can do that. He's actually good at that. He's having the same career as John Travolta. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except John Travolta is a nutcase. <laughs> uh, uh, he's a, he's a, a tenth level theater, isn't he? I yeah, yeah, he'll something. be very cross when he comes out. You don't want that coming after you. He still, he still puts his underpants on one leg at a time. <laughs> I, think, well, I think that's ninth level theater. And your last one is What Happened to Monday? Now, I have heard of that. That went straight <clears> to Netflix. To yeah. Give all the other movies a chance. So I like Numi Rapace a lot. Uh, she was brilliant as Elizabeth Solander. And, um, and she started, she was. Uh, uh, went off to, to Hollywood and oh, excellent book um, and um, The Girl Who Played With Fire which I happen to be reading at the moment listeners um, I, we can talk about this uh, the, um, we'll do that another time stay on yeah. another time yeah that's another conversation for another time but um, Hollywood is having a problem figuring out something to do with uh, with Numi she's brilliant and um she was in two films recently, one with Michael Douglas, which is a more spy thing, which I liked quite a lot. I can't remember the name of that. Um, and my parents really liked. This one is Orphan Black, the movie. And and I think there'll be a bit of noise, uh, and, but they've been described as that all over the place. Um, the setup is basically that um, I think you're only allowed one child um, in this particular uh, culture. And what her father does is basically clone the daughter um, so they're all alike um, and each daughter goes out one day of the week so she's she's Monday and Monday disappears suddenly and the plot is let's go and try and track her down so you've got seven iterations of Numi um, uh, on the screen different different characterizations and then it's basically a chase movie and it's a bit sh- it's a bit um, it's a bit rubbish to be honest with you it's um, it's not very well put together um, she's brilliant, but she's brilliant in everything. Um, I just wish that she they, they'd find a proper vehicle for her. Um, but who knows, maybe in about 10, ten years' time someone will rediscover her and, and find her. Because she was in Prometheus, and she was brilliant in Prometheus, but if you see the back, back um, the, the, the footage of them filming it, she seems to be getting, she, she seems to be getting quite frustrated by it, and 
I, I sense, I've no evidence for this, but I think she might be a little bit difficult to work with. Maybe she's more comfortable being in something that's smaller, less of a... I agree. Less of a Ridley Scott... I mean, regardless of the quality of the films, Ridley Scott movies are always big productions. Yeah. Maybe she's more comfortable being in sort of smaller, more intimate things. Maybe she'd be better off working in theatre. Maybe she'd be happier doing that. She's just really good. She was brilliant in the... You've seen the films of... Uh, I've, yeah, I've seen the, yeah. the Millennium trilogy she did. Yeah. I mean, the, the quality of the story is very... Yes, but absolutely. Her, her performance is, in all three is remarkable. It's one, one for the... Yeah, it was a very zeitgeisty performance and, mm. and one of the few uh, modern hackers that you think actually um, was an interesting characterization. And felt like a real person. It was like a... To- not the kind of person I would ever meet or interact with because I've got quite mm. a boring life. But you really got a sense that this is a complete human being. Yeah. And it, I think it, it, it helps that uh, the way Stieg Larsson created the character helped a great mm. deal. Yeah, that Ma- was a master strike. The Michael Douglas film was called Unlocked. Yes, thank you. And she was also in another Netflix film just before Christmas, which was Bright, which I didn't see. Oh, I haven't seen that. Because I know I've heard bad things about it. It was, written by, it was written by the guy who I'm not going to name because we don't want to give him any publicity anymore. Because apparently, oh right, apparently he isn't gay, which I assumed he was. <laughs> um, but is really, really disgusting to women. All oh, right. Um, well, we don't want to talk about that by then. Right. Well, that's all the films that you've. Now let's go into the films that I've seen. So, we'll do this the same way as last year, I think, where. I'll do two films in my top ten and then one in the bottom five. Perfect. And alternate down. So, at number ten, best of the best ones of the year is Logan. Ah. Okay. Have you seen this one, Chris? I have. Yes. We all have. Excellent. Good. It's a shame that there are all those other X Men films because it just diminishes this one. Yeah. It's. I mean, I've seen Unforgiven. And it's kind of the same film, except this is better, because this has the weight of history behind it. You have those other eight films with Hugh Jackman's performance, and it just gives everything so much more meaning. You know what the character has been through. You've seen what it's going through. You know that something terrible has happened to all the other X-Men as a result of um, Xavier's dementia. And... It, it really feels like the perfect story that they've just been waiting this long to. They had to make all those other films so they could justify doing this one. And it has some of the best performances I've seen this year. It's a really remarkable film. And I was amazed that it was nominated at the Oscars for Best Adapted Screenplay. Okay. Because it's an X-Men movie. <laughs> I was really angry about, actually, its, its appearance at the Oscars because I thought, why isn't this at least nominated for Best Film? It's, it's a really remarkable piece of work. Mm. I have my my overall nominations as well. Well, let, we'll we'll get to that. But as for Logan, I think um, there are. T- I, I I was not well disposed to this film going into it because um, I thought this is going to be. And actually, for a long way into the film, I thought this is very grim, dark. It's just trying to be adult. And then something changed about halfway through, and I thought. Um, of 2017, you can't really say that the particular films released in that year are emblematic of the year because they're in production beforehand. Mm. But if you if you forget that, I would say that there are two films that sum up 2017: Trump, the Brexit debacle, um, what's happening in Britain. One is um, 
I'm going to put Batman versus Superman and Justice League together. So that gives you a sense of what it feels in your head to be living in 2017. That horrible, headachey, irrational, I need a Nurofen, this makes no sense. Um, that gives you what the lived experience feels like. If you want an adult film with a narrative which somehow miraculously sums up uh, all the old heroes are dying off, We've got to put our faith in, into uh, the youth to, for God's sake, get us out of here. Um, uh, and uh, and a sense of... There's a scene in, in um, uh, Logan driving the, the limousine with the people, um, those horrible uh, blokes shouting USA, USA at the top. That's a real downing indictment of that. And, uh, and uh, so I thought this that Logan, yeah, film of the year, um, but it took me some time to think that. Chris? It kind of makes me feel a bit guilty for feeling more lukewarm about it, to okay. be honest. I, I don't know why, and I sat there this morning as I was kind of writing up the list of the films I'd seen, and I struggled to really remember anything much about it. Um, and sometimes that's a that's as good a way of rating a film as any is by just how much it's lodged in your memory. And I don't remember a lot about Logan. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've got a vague sense of coming out of it feeling it was too long or that there was a sequence in it that was a bit of a diversion. But I don't actually remember enough about the film to say what gave me that impression. There were obviously very, very good bits in it there's a sequence when they're in the casino and yeah, Professor Xavier has one of his seizures. That's and a that's great. a phenomenal mm. sequence. And I remember that as being a very, very strong moment. But it's kind of one of those films that sits in my memory more as a collection of individually very, very good scenes rather than as a film in its own right. But it may just be... I mean, when, when I'm, I'm struggling now to remember when Logan was released. March. Yes, yeah, maybe it's just that it, I saw it a year ago, and I've kind of forgotten about it. It shares a lot of similarities with um, it, it's it's children of X Men. That's what I thought. It's um, imagine Clive Owen as Wolverine. Mm. He's um, uh, oh yes. He's got to get the kid out to the sea, which is what happens to to Lo- in Logan. Um, and I believe, uh, if I remember rightly, Clive Owen doesn't make it to the end. Spoiler alert! Doesn't make it to the end of. Uh, he dies children. in the, the very yeah, last scene. Yeah, as the boat's coming towards yes. him. Um, what else? Have I, I I know what you mean about um, it's not a not a film where you go out raving about the major action sequences and, and all of that. I suppose it's not, and maybe that's where I'm judging unfairly. It's not obviously a superhero film. I mean, I saw what was the last X Men film? X Men Apocalypse. Apocalypse. I kind of quite like that. Yeah, there's it's, lots of expensive damage and cities are being nuked and stuff. It's kind of fine. Whereas Logan is quite low on spectacle yes that's it and that's simultaneously good because it proves obviously that superhero films don't just have to be about the Empire State Building exploding into a million fragments while somebody shines a blue laser beam up into space Um, but equally if like me you went to see Geostorm you may occasionally (laughs) sit there in front and think I wish something was so it's character why can't something happen (laughs) all these characters and and, and feelings of uh, realistic yeah, and people relating and to each other and being mature and stuff. Do you know what? It, it, it uh, reminds me a lot of the Star Trek Next Generation episode, Sarek. Okay, yeah. That where makes uh, he comes on board, he can't control his emotions, and mm. Patrick Stewart has to take him on board and has a, a, a freak out session yeah, yeah. at the end. The little girl in it, Daphne Keen. 
she reminds she's this dead spit and uh, I can't remember the name of the actor now he's um, and I believe he's been in one of these um, you know the little boy in Witness Lucas Haas that's the one yeah she looks really like him um, he was an Inception was he? yeah he's in it right oh yes you're right yeah um, she's basically um, in, in the in the year of Stranger Things being a big cultural phenomena she's playing the role of Eleven Phenomenon Phenomenon um, thank you. Thank you very much. She is, yeah, she's, um, what's the character's name? Laura. Laura. She, she basically is um, 11, but because of, I think, production times and no one expecting Stranger Things to explode the way it did, I think it's just parallel. Yeah, thinking. yeah. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was really impressed by the performances yeah. and the fact that the film really takes its time with the characters. Um, most surprising was Stephen Merchant. Yes. And I, yes. I, I checked, this is his first dramatic role. Well, kudos to him, because it was... Um... He's really remarkable mm. in this, as is Patrick Stewart, as is Hugh Jackman. Yeah, big British he, cast. Even Richard E. Grant, yeah. who I like Richard E. Grant very much, but he can be mm-hmm. the overpowering seasoning to a dish. When he appeared, I went, oh. Oh. Yeah. But then he was fine. But he, he keeps it on yeah. the, the right level. He really gets the measure of the material. No Hudson Hawk here. Although, um, I, although his performance in Hudson Hawk was exactly right for the material. And the, the whole, there are very few demonstrations of mutant skills, apart from the adamantine claws. There's something with the kids where they're in the final battle at the end. Mm. Um, I am not a, a huge uh, X-Men fan. I, I vaguely enjoy these films. But I found the ending... Uh, very moving. The final scene. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. The final scene. But he's got a tearing up. I think about it. Mm, yeah. With her just leaning the, the, the cross, cross. Of his grave to form an yeah. axe. That was the perfect ending. Mm. And it's like, yeah, just stop making them now. Yes, absolutely. Don't make any more. That's enough. Mm. And obviously, they've got one coming out later this year, one that they've postponed by a year. It's coming out next February. The New Mutants. And it's worth saying, movie. Hugh Jackman is absolutely brilliant in that role. Hugh Jackman is not the best actor on my list because absolutely it's like nine movies you just feel the weight of it like bollocks to Jean Valjean this should have been his Oscar <laughs> <laughs> yes I completely agree but I think it's pure snobbery that it wasn't at least nominated for um, for for best it film could, it, I mean there's no reason why it should have been up for best picture really no. I mean given that most of this year's best picture nominees were pretty yeah, shit yeah it's a bit of a rum lot but we might talk about that although Chris I think I think um Let's talk again if you see, if you see it again. Yeah, I think it might well need to. It might well turn into one of those films. That I feel because like I, 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 I came to it with a bit. Of, mm, okay, not much happening here apart from Wolverine having a bit of a bad day. Mm. But then it works its magic. Okay. So number five on my bottom five list. Um, let's say a cure for wellness, mm. which is a sort of homage to Hammer horror movies. It's a sort of a ninety-minute. Uh, middle European thriller squeezed into nearly two and a half hours of largely suspense-free weirdness. Uh, it's directed by Gore Verbinski. Uh-oh. And he has very little understanding of how horror films mm. work. <laughs> Even though he did the American version of The Ring. But it's like, you don't make a two and a half hour horror movie. You, for some reason you don't make a two and a half hour comedy. Comedy and horror you get in and work, you get on, out. Mm, work yeah. on the surface emotions. You tire people out if they're too long. That's why it's good to keep them to 90 minutes. And this is 
yeah, it's a guy goes off to a health spa to get the head of the investment company, but he's there and he's kind of going a bit weird. And it turns out that it's um, uh, run by Jason Isaacs, and obviously he's the villain because he's always the villain in everything. Um, and he's actually a count who's lived for hundreds of years and has been having. He's a count. Yeah, he's like a European. He's like a like a Dracula. Oh, oh right, one of those. <laughs> kind of... yeah, you know, he's like one of those Draculas. What? Yeah. They um, those and uh, and yeah, then there's like immortality because of all the eels that live in the water system, and it's like, and then there's a big fire, and it's like, just try writing more than one draft. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those. I did. I didn't see it. But for some reason, the, I ended up stumbling on the, across the trailer on YouTube, and it reminded me there was a, there, there was an in the trailer there was an overemphasis on peculiar imagery and oh yeah. look this is weird mm. and in the end the trailer ended up reminding me more than I think of toys in that you, <laughs> you almost have this sense that there was this real focus of hey look this this movie's got a visual style and it's a bit kooky and it's and it's just yeah whatever it's mainstream surrealism. Has Gorbinski mentioned uh, Thomas Mann at all? Oh yeah, it's a whole knockoff of the Magic, of the Magic Mountain. Mountain. But it's the Magic Mountain with you know eels and Draculas and, and whatnot. So and this is no Mouse Hunt. It's not even Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Oh dear, I do. Um, number nine on the good list, The Big Sick. Ah, uh, I, I, I've heard, I hear of it. Mm. Um, I have not seen this, so. Tell all. It is uh, the story of a Pakistani man, young man living in America, pursuing his uh, career as a comedian. And he meets and starts a relationship with a young woman who, at one of his shows, whilst his family is kind of pressuring him to conform to get a, like a proper job, like a lawyer. Um, and then the relationship doesn't really work out because he won't send up to his family. And then the girl gets very sick, and then she falls into a coma, mm-hmm. and it's up to our lead character to actually try and take charge of the situation and deal with what's happening, whilst also dealing with her parents, who he's meeting for the first time in less than ideal circumstances. The whole thing is actually based on the true story of how the screenplay's two writers met, with Kumail Nanjiani effectively playing himself. Mm-hmm. It's a really well-written script. It's really charming. It's really clever. It shows the whole world of the struggling comedian very convincingly, because he's been through it, of course, as well as the, the struggle with coming from a very traditional, serious family, where, you know, you have to get a proper job. There's this telling jokes for a living. What's that? So you, know, you do that at a party. Then you go back to work as a lawyer. Why aren't you taking any of your lawyer exams? but also the relationship he has with the the two parents, um, played by Holly Hunter and Ray Romano. Mm. And the the husband is... He's a nice man, he's not a tactful man. So one of the first things he says when they're sitting down and having eaten a meal in the hospital cafeteria, he says, so, so 9-11 then? (laughs) Don't don't stop asking about 9-11. No, it's... Kamel says, no, 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 it's okay. I mean, it it was... it was a tragedy. We lost like twenty of our best guys. Is this a comedy or a drama? It is a comedy. Right. It is very funny all the way right. through. Good. And very charming and very likable. Good. I recommend it very highly. It's the ninth best film of the year, and was Oscar nominated for its script. Yes. It, was that the script that lost out to 
Get Out in the end, or yes, yeah, his yeah. original screenplay. Yeah. Whereas Logan was beaten by Call Me by Your Name. Mm. We'll get on to that. Um, and at number eight, Get Out. Ah, have you seen that, Anthony? Um, I've seen a half of Get Out, I believe. Um, That's not totally helpful. No. Um, and what I did see was rather an uncomfortable watch. But I'll leave it to you guys to... Uh, what made you uncomfortable? Um, the tone of it. Um, the parents. And then I remember, I think her brother appears and starts behaving really yes, oddly. Yeah. Um, and then there's some... Um, uh, some bits in it which looked to me as if it was uh, it, it made me think oh right this is a horror film um, but I couldn't it's a difficult film to get a handle on I liked it very much I liked that it was saying and doing things that were deliberately meant to make the audience yes. particularly mm. the white audience yeah um, earlier today I was listening to uh, an episode of the Radio 4 series uh, and the Academy Award goes to, which profiles best picture winners of years gone by. And they did an episode on Crash. Mm. And Crash is obviously rubbish. <laughs> um, but it was saying, oh, it's saying all these things that, that white liberal Americans don't want to acknowledge about, about racism. And the message of, of Crash is that everyone's a little bit racist. And, well, yeah, I know. Mm. That's I, is. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm an adult. Um, and Get Out is saying that, but it's saying, no. You're quite racist, aren't you, audience? Even if you think you're not, and then it's explaining why as in the context of the whole story. And I thought it was very clever how it balanced this very angry, brilliantly articulated social message with an incredibly tense, scary horror story. Yeah, it's a very intelligent script, that one. Um... It's the, uh, the first horror film to win a screenplay Oscar since Silence of the Lambs. Mm. It's a very, very well-calibrated film. Um, brilliantly acted. Yeah. Um, brilliantly. I mean, Jordan Peele's first feature film, I think he's only done TV work. I think he's like his, like the sketch show. Yeah, yeah, I've done. So he's done nothing remotely like this before. I know. Don't you just want to, you know, go and slash the tyres on his car? Oh, no. When, when, someone, when someone wears their talent so lightly, then I only wish good things for them. I really hope that Get Out isn't the high point. I hope it's the start. Mm, yeah, that'd be cool. It's going to be hard for him to beat, but, but we'll see. Um, but I think, it, I think it was a terrific piece of work, and I'm glad it's been a success. I mean, it's, it was, for a while, the highest-grossing horror film ever. Yes, it went bananas, didn't it? Yeah. It, it beat The Sixth Sense, but then it was overtaken by... No, it didn't beat The Sixth Sense. What am I talking about? But it did very well, anyway. But um, I was amazed that it did as well as it did. I, I think it was always it's such an intriguing idea for a film I think yeah but I'm, I'm pleased to, it did I, as I well think, as it I did I think a, a bit like Black Panther it's a film that's made, made with a black audience in mind and that doesn't happen much in Hollywood no. that it's a genre movie that treats its audience with intelligence and respect and it's in tune with the zeitgeist and it's in tune with the zeitgeist well that's because that was the, the, the point and again potentially sort of dancing around what happens at the end but there's a point at the end where several very, very terrible things have happened, and a police car rolls up. And there was genuinely a moment when I thought, I actually can't watch the rest of this film, because I suddenly had this weird kind of flash-forward of knowing exactly how the film was going to play out from that point. And I thought, I actually cannot sit through what's inevitably going to happen to this character. And it was a relief when it didn't. And I appreciate that the end of the film is... They shot the ending that you were dreading. 
and I couldn't have sat through it. It would have been horrible. It, yeah, it would have. Been, I think it might have actually hurt the film because mm. it would never have given you any respite at all. Whereas the actual ending, it does give you that just that little bit of release. It just releases the tension right at the end. It's one of the few films I can think of where the ending is an absolute cop out. But I'm glad it is because I couldn't cope with the ending that this film should have. It would just be too miserable and too grim. Peel knows how to modulate the audience response. Mm. He knows, here's where you increase the tension, here's where you release the tension. I think that shows a, the real skill as a filmmaker. You know mm. which notes to play when. So right at the end, you've had all this tension, 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 then you just release it a little bit. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, so you're not, you're not leaving the theatre... You're not leaving... I would have left the thing. I would have left the cinema wrecked. You're not leaving the cinema feeling, oh god, that's awful. You're leaving it feeling, oh, that gave me a lot to think about. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's it's like it's like the spider scene in, in King Kong. It's too nasty, and yeah. you can't you can't get past that. I suppose you could argue as well that as a white middle aged male, blah blah blah. Yeah, three white middle aged guys sitting talking around, about Get talking Out, talking <laughs> about a black movie. But the fact as well that I had that moment of thinking. In the cinema, no. The ending that this film, the ending that this film and this character would have if this was real, yeah. is awful, and yeah. I can't face seeing that. It's actually an, achieve, an achievement for the film to make me realise that, and then at least you know, make me think about it without actually making requiring me to watch it. And that's the balance with you know, mm. the police are coming up. Then you think you know what's going to happen. You think, oh, but no, it's it's his mate. In that alternate ending, the final scene is uh, he being visited in prison by his mate. And it's just like, yeah, this is this is a bit too much. I've had arguments on the internet with uh, white supremacists about Get Out. <laughs> it's it's a, it's it's really fun. That doesn't them. sound like a pleasant way to spend an evening. To be honest oh, with it's, you. it can be really Did fun they... if you if you tell them that oh, oh this is this is a hilarious character you've come up with. Have you been workshopping this at comedy nights? It's, oh, you're just you're just belittling me now. Oh, oh, it's oh, you're cracking me. Jeremy, up. walk away. <laughs> walk away. Oh, I got bored after a while, yeah. but it was it was quite fun. Did they not like the film then? No, they said it was anti-white. Wow. Oh. Well, they're kind of really not. They haven't got their finger on the pulse of the uh, of uh, modern culture at the moment, have they? With Black Panther absolutely uh, storming the box office, and despite despite being that great. Well, may, are we going to talk about Black Panther down the line? Uh, we will next year. Yeah, I think. So. <laughs> yeah. um, if you, if you're if you're still here, if you're still alive. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I thought I thought Black Panther was sort of fine. I mean, I, I appreciated the intent more than the actual movie. Um, number four on the bottom list, and it is a bottom list. The Mummy. Oh, the Tom Cruise. <laughs> Sorry, I had to think from. You yeah, actually remember that there was a Mummy. Film I, I keep last year. thinking of the um, Brendan Fraser. The Brendan Fraser film. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that was sort of okay. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, this was just a bit like a car crash. Um, Universal wanted to launch their own Marvel Universe franchise. Which they did in the most heavy-handed manner possible. We're using the old Universal monsters of the 30s, your Draculas. See, it's more Draculas. Your Frankensteins. And your werewolf. Creature from the Black Lagoon. And that picture that they did of the stars who were going to be Mr. Invisible Man, the werewolf, they had Russell Crowe, they had Johnny Depp, they had Tom Cruise in the same picture. I wondered... Photoshop. Yeah, Yeah. I thought they're not in the same room at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you can't get them all together at once. But um, The Mummy is such just a boring misfire. It's so, it just completely misunderstands what it's trying to do. What is Tom Cruise doing in that film? I don't know. What, what was he thinking? I, don't, I honestly don't know. Because it's trying to launch a franchise, but it's not a Tom Cruise franchise. 
No. That's the weird thing. So, no matter how... If this movie is a hit, it's not a hit internationally because people want to see a mummy movie. It's a hit because it's a Tom Cruise movie. So the next one that's coming up the pipe, which is supposed to be uh, Bride of Frankenstein... Bride of Frankenstein? So they've skipped over Frankenstein. Well, presumably it's going to mash the two together. Yeah. But... um, that if they think that's going to do as well as the first one did, <laughs> assuming, assuming the first one did really well, that's not going to have Tom Cruise in it. That's no. Not going to be, no, it's going to be um, um, uh, Javier Bardem, apparently, as Frankenstein's creature, which is a weird choice. Just because he can't speak English very well. Um, they saw and, the clip in, in Skyfall of him pulling his teeth out, and they went, great. And Angelina Jolie as the, as the bride, which is obvious, <sighs> boring casting. And that movie's obviously not going to happen now, because the whole thing's just... Crash and burn. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's got... Um, oh, and there's a secret organisation that monitors yes. all the monsters in the world. There's Russell Crowe <laughs> doing an English accent. And it's run by Russell Crowe as Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde. And he's doing an English accent. And obviously, because it's Russell Crowe, he's not really doing an English accent. Is he's it? just, like, taking a voyage around the language. <laughs> and he's terrible. I mean, actually, he's as Dr Jekyll, he's fine. But then he turns into Mr Hyde which means that he's got some like boot polish on his face to make his skin look a bit darker. Not like like ethnic dark, but like sort of sinister. Um, and some contacts in, and then he tar- starts talking in a Cockney accent and running around the set looking like a twat. And Well, as Mr. Hyde. As Mr. Not Hyde. just Russell Crowe. Well, <laughs> um, but the whole thing is just so boring. But every other Tom Cruise film that's has come out, at least I say within the last 10 years, has been precision tools. He's been working with people who are very on his side. Um, It's very interesting to see him suddenly just plucked up out of that and dropped into a machine and to see him versus a great big uh, franchise machine like this because it shows up parts of his controlling personality because he desperately tried to make this work. Yeah. He got out there and he did all the PR for it, even though he must have known this was an absolute car crash um, and that he would be walking away from this. Um, it's, it's just, I think this is the film that tells you quite a bit about Tom Cruise because he's out of his normal um, yeah. environment. He's, I think he's becoming increasingly, obviously it's stating it, he's becoming increasingly coddled. And he exists in this little Tom Cruise bubble. He's been in a Tom Cruise bubble since the 80s. Yes, <laughs> and the thing is that he now, his, the... The span of, of things that he's in is now so narrow. Yeah, it really when was is. was the last time he did like a Magnolia or a Jerry Maguire or like a character role? Well, it was nice to see him in American Made. I, I, I did think um, I'd like to see him do more of this stuff where, where it's actually a... a, a he's a, a good character. Yes, performer. he is. He absolutely is. Um, he's fantastic in Magnolia. Mm. That's his best performance. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's a perfectly good actor. But... It's really, really weird. I'd like to see more... I mean, I think... Are we going to talk about American Made at some stage? Oh, did, did we not do that? Oh, sorry. Gary, I, I think well, I just said it's, it is that he watched the box set of Narcos. And oh, yeah. The, I, 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 told, I, I think I did the, the winding up motion. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a bit of fluff, and it's um, uh, he's perfectly fine. It's got some good flying scenes. But, um, but it is good to see him in a, um, a bog-standard drama, really. Um, he was he was good in uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Tomorrow was fantastic. Brilliant little science fiction film that. Um, yeah. 
I was so pleased because that was that looked like it was going to flop, mm. but it wound up actually. Word of mouth propelled well that one because of word of mouth. Mm. Tom Cruise having a hit film because of word of mouth. I know, but that's the only time that's ever happened. That's the end of the star system in Hollywood for you. Yeah, mm. but it's such a. I mean, it's a weird film, and it has a really dark, strange sense of humour. Mm. And then obviously people just kept turning up because it's a film in which Tom Cruise dies like 30 times. And he starts off as, as the anti-hero. He's cowardly. His character actually develops yeah, over the course of the movie. Yeah. He's not the He-Man action star. No, he's not. I'm interested to see what um, Mission Impossible Fallout's going to do. Mm. Because that feels like it's going to be a bit more of a darker Mission Impossible story. That it might be... That it, it feels like it might be the last one. The last one with um, Cruise as the lead. Because he's frankly getting on a bit these days he's he's 55 and his his wife is 35 in american made and looks about 20 um mm. and he does look like he's basically being defrosted out of cryogenic suspension between movies i think that i mean assuming that that fallout does well and i think it probably will well a, I a seventh one i think we'll be pushing it i think that he should mission be, impossible would be he, surviving the shoot. he should be like the voice on the tape or like their guy in washington yeah, and it should be like and Tom Cruise. Yeah, and he could just carry on doing them like that for as long as he wants. Well, I noticed they've dragged. Um, it's Ving Rhames. They're still. He's been in all of them. Well, they're, they're dragging his wife back for this film. That's why I get the feeling that this oh, might be like the last. Yeah, but the last I mean, I wasn't exactly gagging to know what happens to. So I want to see Tom Cruise do Tom Cruisey things, not. Not going. Oh, I've got to rescue my wife because she got and Henry Cavill's moustache. Actually, we he finally looks get re- to see Henry Cavill's yes, moustache. Like <laughs> yeah, and he he looks actually really good in this in uh, Mission Impossible Four. Uh, that's probably what I'm looking forward to. Um, right, number seven, the death of Stalin. Ugh, I haven't seen it yet. Want to see it? It's it's Amanda Yunucci, and it's exactly what you expect it to be. It's a brilliantly written, brilliantly witty. Uh, incredibly pessimistic <laughs> satire on politics but it's even more brutal than anything he's done before because you see people getting shot in the head all the way through and you see the inside of Beria's headquarters where there are people being horrifically tortured it's like 1984 but with better jokes it's like Brazil but with better jokes wow and a film I nearly took my parents to see because on the other on the slightly well, that's true. Uh, on the slightly misunderstood basis that it's a comedy and it's about Stalin and people know Stalin, so you think, yeah, that sounds like a good film to take my parents to. For various logistical family reasons, it kind of fell apart. And yes, having heard stuff like this subsequently, I am glad I didn't take them to see it. But as you say, they did enjoy the fog, so there might be hope for them. Did you watch the fog with your parents over Christmas? Because we did with ours. <laughs> the fog. Yeah, yeah, the John Carpenter film. Was it on? Yeah, it was on it was, Christmas Eve, it, it was I think. On, it, was. Oh, really? it was on the Yesterday Channel, 11 o'clock on Christmas Eve, and Chris and I independently <laughs> watched it with our own parents. Well, well I highly approve. Um, it, and that's a great time to watch it, by the way, it it's ended, dead of night. It ended up being my family's big Christmas movie, <laughs> because I'd made some passing reference to it being on, oh, I'll just record it. We got to Christmas Day after lunch, there was apparently nothing on TV that anybody wanted to watch. So my mum goes, oh, let's watch that film you taped last night. It's like, are you... What? You sure? <laughs> You'd like to see the film about the zombie pirates? And yes, I mean, it, it's on yesterday, so they'd, they'd kind of toned down a lot of the gore, I think. I know, it was uncut. Was it as uncut? As far as I tell. Oh, okay. It was on at 11 o'clock at night. I think they know better than to show any earlier. Okay, maybe that's interesting. It's, it has been a while since I've seen it then. So I... I 
but yeah, no, it, it went down very well. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Excellent. Have you seen the remake? Oh, no. It's got the girl That's uh, the from Lost in it. Actually, it's, yeah, like, oh, no, I'm getting confused now. Yeah, because it's got Superman's girlfriend in it. And Selma Blair. And it's really shit. It's got, what's his name from Smallville then, hasn't Tom it? Welling. Tom Welling. It has Welling, got Superman it? in it. Yeah. That's, that's why I'm confused. Yeah, apparently John Carpenter turned up on the set on the first day. <laughs> wished everyone good luck. Where's my check? <laughs> picked up his check and then went home to play video games. Yes, months, quite right too. Because he's John Carpenter and, he has, and he's, he's earned his retirement now. But yeah, the death of Stalin is great. Superb performances. Michael Palin good? Michael Palin is excellent. Andrea Riceborough? Yeah, uh, my, yeah. Michael, They're all good, aren't they? Michael, really? pa- Michael Palin and Steve Buscemi together. Oh, that's last. just brilliant. Um, Rupert Friend, who I'd never seen do a comedy role before, is absolutely terrific. Plays everything totally straight. Um, Jeffrey Tambor, who's oh, maybe we shouldn't be talking about him anymore, but he's he's very good. Paul Whitehouse, Simon Russell Beale. Simon Russell Beale, I think is I one love of my nominees. Simon Russell Beale. Again, he makes Barrier terrifying, but still funny. I mean, Malcolm Tucker, it, you know, has nothing on him. Wow. Well, obviously, that's on my to-watch to list. I believe it's out on DVD now. Right. At this very that's moment. Awesome. And actually, I might show that to my parents as well. They'd be going for a nice bit of uh, uh, dark, murderous humour. The scenes where they're clearing out um, Stalin's Dakar, they're, you know, the... So it doesn't shy away from the, the, the horrors, because this basically no. was a massive holocaust. The um, the brutality of it is very obvious, but the the scenes where they're, they're, they're creating everything up and putting it on trucks, and then the people, there are you know, guards uh, clearing everything away and then waving off the trucks, and then one of their, their superior walks over and shoots the guard in the head because oh it's just like God. just like erasing any knowledge of this. Oh my goodness! Isn't Armando Iannucci brilliant? Isn't he just an amazing? He's re- he's he's remarkable. I mean. Mm-hmm. Tip of the hat for, for what he's done. Again, Everything. Again, <laughs> yeah. again, he's someone who wears his talent lightly. Yes. And like, a brain I, the size of Jupiter. Exactly. But will still just like be on. I mean, he's like been on Room 101. It's like some silly like panel shows because it's a laugh. And it's easy money, I expect. And at number six, Prevenge. Um, I saw the poster for this. I uh, can't say um, I, I was running to see it. I know the premise of it, but. Um, yeah, didn't, didn't strike me as something quite up my alley, but what were your thoughts? Um, I liked it very much. I actually saw a preview at the BFI um, with um, Alice Lowe in attendance, mm-hmm. who wrote, directed it and stars in as a heavily pregnant woman who's receiving messages from her unborn baby telling her to go out and kill. That's brilliant. Hmm. I mean, it's one of those ideas you're sure has been done before. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a really interesting satirical story about perceptions of women, perceptions of pregnant women, and the nature of the story changes quite significantly. So that one starts to wonder exactly what voices it is that she's hearing. Right, okay. But don't go into too much spoilery uh, territory here, because this sounds actually yeah, very it does. good. Yeah, uh, it does. It's, it's a very impressive achievement. It's made an extremely low budget. Is this her first film? Is it a, a female writer or director? A female writer? It's Alice Lowe. Right. Of um, Ben Wheatley's Sightseers. Oh, really? Yeah. This is her first feature film. Oh, she's, written, she's written before, and she's done a lot of television work. It's a dark place. Um, but um, she made the film, as I said, on a very, very tight budget, and she was uh, about seven months pregnant at the time. Right. 
So all of that is for real. Because when I see um, pictures about pregnancy, and there aren't a lot of them, my thoughts immediately turn to Alien, which is all about um, the fear of childbirth and, and things exploding up out of you and, and taking over your body. And this is very much like that. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, in, a, in a much more lo-fi psychological way with some very... I mean, there's some really horrible violence. One character is castrated, and you and you get to see it and everything. <laughs> That's very very interesting in a film about pregnancy to have a character castrated. Well, it's uh, it's more because the character is very much of a of a Lothario. Yeah. So he gets what he is coming to him. But for for men to suddenly have um, uh, sex cut off at the the tap during pregnancy or... or and Please don't call it the tap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not putting this brilliantly, but um, yeah, yeah, that that's very interesting. Is that, I'm going to have to track down this film down. And uh, Is it set in the UK, by the way? Yes. Yeah, British-made film. Yeah, oh, yeah. entirely British-made film, British-funded. Um, I think Ben Wheatley was like executive producer. I wondered if he was... Right. But, I mean, she's she's worked with him, so there is a, there is a feeling of, of yes. weakness about yeah. it. But um, but it's very much her own work and her own voice. And good. Um, Do you think this has got a good title? This film. It's got the kind of title though. You have the title in the poster, and that's what you sell at the film festival. Mm. <laughs> like um, I was told when I was at, uh, at film school, I was told about um, the Cannes Film Market where all these very cheap, low-budget movies from all over the world just come and try and sell to territories. And there was one someone was selling which was about these tiny little vampires running around. And it was called Ankle Biters. <laughs> and on the basis of the concept and the poster and the title, they sold it to like half yeah. the territories in the world. That's like snakes on a plane. Exactly. Mm. If you can like pitch it... Give me a poster. If you can whittle See. down the pitch to a picture and mm. title and... You get an exact idea of what the movie is. You can sell it really easily. The movie may not be any good, but you can still make money out of it. Are all the films on your list, by the way, ones that we haven't seen? No. Oh, good. No, okay. I think there's a degree of overlap. Well, we've, we've done the ones that I haven't seen. Okay, and now, or I've seen all of these, and you may have seen some of them as well. Good. There is a, a, a nod towards structure. Um, I wish there wasn't Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> right, number three on the bottom list, Alien Covenant. Right, we've all seen this. I can't say I have, but that's partly because I saw Prometheus. I just yeah, thought, I'm, I'm out. I wish I was like you. I should have learnt my lesson. Well, because um, we were told that this is going to be a bit more of a, a nuts and bolts alien. We thought, well, that's encouraging. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that they've left out all the bits of Prometheus that were interesting, all the stuff about man and God and the origin of life, all of that, all the stuff that was, you know, made it a little bit worthwhile. And instead you've got a bunch of idiots. And they really are and idiots. And they really are. I mean, it's, I mean, like, it's they're, egregious. They're, pro they're proper, like, B-Arc material. <laughs> um, bumbling around on a planet, shoving their faces into all the flora and fauna, um, accidentally blowing up their own spaceship. Yeah, that's a rookie mistake. I mean... <laughs> We've all I, done that. I was... I was really shocked that we were supposed to f be engaged with any of these clowns. Um, the the hanging threads of Prometheus are not just tied off; they're torched. Yes, they are. Um, the movie the movie starts with Numi Rapace's character already long dead, uh, having been 
uh, killed by David, well, the, David, David the Robot. On not the at the start. You, you, you have, for that to be confirmed, you have to get halfway through the film and... Spoiler Bef- alert. Before, uh. before, the, before the chronological beginning of the movie. Oh, well, yes, I mean. absolutely. Not, 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 not revealed at the start. Yeah. Um, but you are quite right. It's literally all the things that I went to see Alien Covenant for... They, they are jettisoned. And all the things that people didn't like about Prometheus yes. are the things that they retain. And one might also say that about The Last Jedi, but again, we will, we'll we get, will, on to we'll that. get to well, that. I mean, the, uh, I will give you a spoiler. The Last Jedi is not in either of my two lists, but we will go through the list of everything else. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want, Survey of the and, landscape. And then if, ever, if at any point you want to chip in with anything... Oh, yes. <laughs> Do you have a medium place list then as well? Yeah, it's just everything else. Fair enough. Yes. Um... The one, I mean, I was really surprised that the one good performance in the whole movie was Danny McBride, who, again, it's someone who I'd only seen doing comedy and doing some silly frat boy comedy. In this was actually, it's like a subtle variation on that character, but sort of down to earth and realistic and the kind of person think, yeah, he does convince as like a space pilot guy, even mm-hmm. if he's got like a beard and a cowboy hat. Yeah, that seems plausible. And he actually seemed like he was engaged with the other characters and making an effort and everything, and not just slumming it and saying the lines. No, if you if you are an actor and you suddenly get the gig in a, a Ridley Scott film, then you'd be yeah, he's he's yeah. he's bringing his A game, and the character's not much to write about, but he's making an effort. And what's he doing now? Well, he's writing the new Halloween film, of course. <laughs> but it's Alien Covenant's definitely the ultimate proof that Ridley's only as good as his script. Absolutely. And, and he's not a writer. And he's, he can't smith, sniff a good story or a good uh, script wow. off a million miles. The Martian is a big modern outlier for um, Ridley Scott. Because the Martian is working from a really good book. From a good book, yeah. And then a good script. And it's almost like a, a, it is a very close adaptation of that book. There's only yeah. about one scene that's dropped out of it. Um, Alien Covenant, it, it, it's, I find it quite a sad experience really because it really... You think, oh, come on, uh, Ridley, surely you, you sat down and read the script. How much of it is going over old ground? Because I remember seeing, again, this is another film I saw the trailer for, and was just struck by how much it seemed to be a soft reboot of Alien. It's, it's yeah, it just feels like... It's Alien or Fast Forward. It's, yeah. It's just an, it's another Alien movie. It's like 129 minutes of Alien movie. Yeah. It, it, from the trailer, it just didn't... It didn't look like it was going to be presenting anything that hadn't been seen before. I mean, I mean, Prometheus was such a mess that with this I've thought, well, they've said that it's going to be different. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And then I thought, mm, probably shouldn't have followed. It is the Justice League. Um, it, it, yeah, it is, it is the Justice League um, to Batman uh, relationship. It's, this is uh, it, it's a course correction. Um the alien stuff at the end is really badly directed and the CGI of the alien is, is really horrible. There's a, f- there's a, f- a moment which is just a, an instantly dumb moment where the Fassbender character says to the captain of the ship, why don't you have a look in the egg? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, have, yeah, yeah, have a look in there. <laughs> what do you think happens <laughs> there's next? Go, there's going to be a big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> it's a kinder oh, egg. And, and that just reminds me, the scene where you've got the two Michael Fassbenders yes. playing the flute. Which is I'll do the fingering. Memed. Memed God. all over the internet. And it's like, yeah. Ridley, come on! Mm. You grew up in the north. I mean, surely you must realise how ridiculous mm. this looks. You'd like, like you not in a, like, you know, he's from South Shields. He's not from like Lardy Dar Islington. Yeah. 
you must have a down to earth attitude to this kind of thing. I saw a good year recently as well. Oh uh, yes, it's comedy with Russell Crowe. It is shocking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the his version of Year in Provence, the the big um, from the same author. Yeah, it's God Almighty. But the 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 thing that makes me suspect, well, makes me completely sure that he's not reading any reviews at all, is that um, there was a big thing in Prometheus about. They're all idiots because they take their helmets off and they, you know, they they start breathing oxygen and all of that. And in this film, they come off the ship without wearing their helmets. Yeah, they never even have a. And them on. guess what? They get some bug up his nose or into his it ear. Goes in his ear, and, and then he's sick all over the place. Yeah. Well, surprise, surprise. So uh, okay. I watched it feeling I know for a fact I'm more intelligent than everybody in this film. And they're astronauts. Yeah, they're supposed to be the creme de la creme. The, the, you know, the cream of mushroom. And, and what are they? They're a bunch of idiots. Did you hear that... Um, Morons in outer space. At the end, with, the, with, with Fassbender walking away on the ship, um, they were going to make a more overt Nazi reference. I think they were going to either have him sort of goose-stepping away, um, because he, he's basically um, the new Hitler. <laughs> well, anything that could have tipped us off that the whole movie was supposed to be a comedy... I mean, he could have been whistling "Tomorrow Belongs to Me," and that would have helped. Yeah. And just anything, anything that indicates that there is someone in charge who has a sense of what they're doing. So, we, do you think it's worse than Alien versus Predator? Uh, which, uh, what, yeah, the, which the, one? <laughs> the first Alien versus Predator. That's the thing, though, is that the Alien versus Predator movies aren't in any way pretentious. Yes, they, exactly. It's like again, here's the title. What more do you want? Yeah. And we'll do stuff for you. Yeah, we'll have that. We'll have aliens fighting predators and lots of action and stuff, and that's fine. And um, the second one isn't. The second one is set in present day Earth. If you've got aliens running around on present day Earth, this film needs to be better <laughs> because it's really quite boring. Um, anyway, but, um, but yeah, I think Alien Covenant is the the worst thing that aliens have been in because even mm. when they've been bad before, they haven't been so breathtakingly pretentious. Um, number number five, mother. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really good. Is it? Yes, it's all about. It's I've gone on before about how badly the film was missold. That it was sold as like a home invasion horror movie when it's actually a religious allegory about the relationship between God, man, and mother nature. Yeah, that's my focus. Um, but. When you realise what the movie's about, and it gives you a lot of opportunities to realise what it's about, because it, it's not trying too hard to conceal the story. And the director proves he made Noah. And the director proves he made Noah. Um, you're, it's interesting to see how the story's being told. But the whole history of the Bible, up to the modern age, told from the point of view of a woman who keeps having people coming into her house to talk to her husband. And like one man comes in and, oh, oh, it's so nice to meet you, Mr. Creator. Oh, uh, oh, oh, my rib hurts, oh dear. And then the following day's wife... <laughs> this is basically what happens. And then the following day's wife turns up. And um, it's Michelle Pfeiffer. Of course. And, and Adam is uh, Ed Harris. Ed Harris in weirdly friendly performance weirdness, because he never plays anyone nice. Oh, he, he, was, he, played, he was nice in Apollo 13, although he did shout at the... Uh, oh, yeah. Um, he was a bit mixed up in Jackson Pollock. And then, and then all these other characters suddenly start turning up. You've got, you've got like Cain and Abel beating the crap out of each other in the dining room. And it, it becomes more and more of a, like a weird comedy of manners. And all these, these house guests suddenly keep turning up. 
and then it just gets more and more strange and it just like towards the end it's just sliding into full-on like david lynch in lsd hell doesn't she kind of explode at the end or something or the house Don't burns down spoil it. sorry um but yeah you've got you've got raves going on you've got um, soldiers smashing in through the windows you've got people being locked up in cages you've got the lit main character uh, gestating and giving birth to a baby over the course of about a week. And um, obviously the baby being Jesus, uh, he's immediately snatched away and eaten by the assembled crowd. Lovely. Um, you have um, Kristen Wiig effectively playing uh, the Archangel Gabriel, initially sort of her friendly, jovial uh, self. Uh, later on in the film you see her shooting people in the head, uh, mass execution style, without really changing her manner at all, and it's really upsetting. It's the whole Roger Moore thing again. When you see someone who you're really used to seeing in like a comforting way in a very different way. So like her just casually bullet in the head for people, just like bags over their heads, kneeling down. So what's the point of all of this? That it's, it's, the, it's the relationship between religion, man and nature over the last entire history of the world boiled down into this single house... It's ridiculously ambitious, and I'm amazed that it works at all. But it really works, and it's so nice to see a Darren Aronofsky film that's not a complete mess. Would you recommend this film? Absolutely. Who to? You. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, What's Jennifer Lawrence like in it? She's very well cast because she doesn't have to try too much. But the way the film shot is it's mostly focused either on her in the foreground or framed so that the um, scene is from her point of view. Yeah. So there's lots of over-the-shoulder stuff as well. So she's the focal point of the whole movie. But because she's written deliberately to be quite passive, that she can't break through or change her environment too much because her husband who is literally God, mm. is so controlling. Mm. And because all the people in the house are messing up her house, you see, because it's about pollution, um, they, they won't be told that she... They, they won't listen to her. They keep sitting on the sink, even though it's not properly braced. It's like, it's like a running thing. They keep sitting on the sink. It's not properly <laughs> braced. And eventually it breaks off and it, and, and it floods everywhere because of global warming. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it is that heavy-handed. But it's not... This is great. This is like, it's like someone's given a, a brilliant film student $50 million and said, yeah, just make a really expensive student film with real actors. And they've made this thought, oh, actually, yeah, it turned out quite well. I, uh, this sounds achingly pretentious and, um, and, and very idiosyncratic. Uh, and I don't trust Darren Aronofsky, <laughs> uh, certainly not after Black Swan, which was uh, another... Black Swan's fine, but it's really mm. just a, like an Italian horror movie. Well, yes, it's, as it's, we discussed, it's a giallo, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, um, for what it is, it's mm. it's it's not it's not like best film of the year. It's not like best picture material. No, 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 no. But for what it is, it's fine. Well, I he's thought... done. I mean, like I th- yeah, I feel like the, the the fountain is a complete mess. I had no idea what was going on there. Here, he's like he does seem to have looked at his previous work and thought, right, what did I do wrong? What can I learn from things that didn't work or that weren't mm. successful? And then the studio just completely missells it and just torpedoes the whole thing. And which, which was the studio? It wasn't Paramount, was it? No, I think it might have been Fox Searchlight. Oh. Um, but, um, yeah, because they thought all these big stars, 
Oscar-nominated director. We can we can promote this as a big blockbuster. Well, not a blockbuster, but like a commercial movie. And it isn't. And then opening weekend, or opening night rather, it got a cinema score rating of F. Yes, I was hmm. about to say, which it, means people were just thinking, "This isn't a film I've been sold. No, it's bloody it, horrible." That's that's what the F means. It doesn't mean this movie is bad. It yes, means this movie has not been marketed properly. Yeah. So I I can't say I'll be running to see this. I think Geostorm is standing even more attractive <laughs> uh, by the moment. But in an era in which we have to put up with stuff like um, Justice League and um, Suicide Squad and and, and Transformers, it's, it's, not, it's not just DC that has the monopoly on no of, of rubbish films. films. It is nice to see someone with a very specific uh, vision and and originating work, however demented. And having um, the wherewithal and the influence to be able to do it properly. Yeah, with them. a huge star like Jennifer Lawrence and, and Javier and, Bonham. And, and great support, a great supporting cast. Mm. Javier Bardem, Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer, Kristen Wiig, mm. Donald Gleeson. That's a hell of a well. um, Yeah, it's, it's nice to say, oh, I really enjoyed that Darren Aronofsky film. Because it's such a rare opportunity. At <laughs> um, uh, four, this is one I think we've all seen, Phantom Thread. Right, yes. No, so I haven't seen no. that one. Don't you see anything? No, no, no. Well, this one's about dresses. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but is Women's it? dresses. It's what about... did you think, Anthony? Um, I, I was very surprised. I was not... Um, uh, well, it was a Paul Thomas Anderson joint with um, Daniel Day-Lewis in it, so I was fairly um, uh, drooling at the prospect of this um, rematch from... Um, there will be blood, and then as uh, as you rightly point out, it's, oh, he was playing <laughs> he's playing a dressmaker, and then he goes, yeah, I'm giving up acting, I'm going to be a dressmaker. Um, I thought, right. he does that all the time. Yeah, and I don't believe it. Wasn't it? He spent ten years as a carpenter or something like that. Cobbler, um, cobbler, that's it. Um, so I had absolutely no idea what to expect from this. Um, it's it's very difficult to uh, to describe. It is following one uh, particular character and his obsession, and um, it's a very fastidious movie. It's very um, a very good-looking movie. I think um, the thing that is a problem with There Will Be Blood is that it, um, Daniel Day-Lewis at the end goes full-on um, cartoonish big bad wolf mode. And um, in this film, he's, he's dialing it much more back down, um, and it's a, it's a much more... F- um, careful, quieter performance. Um, so I liked it. I, I'm not sure I would revisit it. Uh, I certainly have revisited There Will Be Blood a lot more because I think that's uh, got... Um, there Will Be Blood was a film that I... When I saw it in the cinema, I walked out and went... Didn't so really? Well. Yeah. And then about a day or two later, I was thinking, oh my God, that was a good film. And I'm really annoyed I didn't go back to the cinema and see it again. And I had to wait until it came back out again. And then I saw it on DVD and I went, yeah, this is an amazing film. Um, but, yeah, I don't think Phantom Thread is in, in that same league. Paul Thomas Anderson has disappointed me with uh, that last thing he did. Inherent Vice. That's the one. Um, which uh, I have on DVD. I've watched about ten minutes of it and it, it, I just can't get into it. Um, I like that he, he got to do comedy again for a change. Because I've heard mm. him interviewed and he's actually... Really laid back. He's a very wry guy, isn't really he? Yeah. Laid back and chatty and cracks jokes mm. and but God, you couldn't be less like Stanley Kubrick if you tried. And yet his movies are quite Kubrickian. Yes, um, I can see what you mean by that. But he's 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 definitely skipping over lots of different types of 
genres and um, uh, uh, and and tones and and all that. He's definitely um, an amazing. Uh, whatever project he puts out at the moment, I'm very interested in. Phantom Thread seems to me to be a much more of a B B grade. Uh, he wanted to work with Daniel Day-Lewis. He came up with the project uh, on a whim. So it's not something, there's the project I want to do. It's let's rustle something up so we can work together again. But uh, um, yeah, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily put it on my top ten of, of the, the year, but I thought, nice piece of work. I found it intoxicating. Oh. I, I love just being drawn into this world. Mm. Um, I, I love the idea that it's about two very controlling people who still need each other. Uh-huh. So they, they need the control, but they also have to be able to relinquish control from time to time. So it winds up with this very chor- almost choreographed dance between Reynolds and Alma, his muse. Mm. It's very funny. Yes, it is. Um, in, but having no jokes. No, just natural conversation. Mm. So... Like when he she brings him tea. The restaurant scene where well, the restaurant scene where he's ordering he orders the everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's that's almost like the Blues Brothers. Yeah, and it's uh, so nicely played, and she completely goes with it because you think, well, oh, this is a bit of a nutcase, but he's doing that with just a slight twinkle in his eye, and she spots it, and and then she heads off with him, uh, and as you said, comes his muse. But I, I really loved it. I loved the, the whole mood of it. I mm. found the characters fascinating. I found the, the ideas fascinating. The, the shifts towards the end, the idea of where the title becomes more relevant when he starts having the, um, the fever dream visions of his mother. Mm. I thought that, again, it adds extra layers to the whole relationship and the characters between them, that she's the much more nurturing one. But he has to have the, the sense of control that mm. he can do. He can order her around, but he still he needs her to look after him because that's not something that he can get from his sister. Do you think Daniel Day-Lewis had an input into this story stroke script? I know he did. Mm, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, that um, he's, he was effectively an uncredited co-writer. Yeah. I, um, but I think it just shows that he, he really understands the whole process of creating a character that he, he lives the character right from creating them on the page to creating them within himself and then, and then onto the screen. He knows the whole process. I'd be interested to read or see something that he would write on his own. Well, who knows what he's coming up with. The guy's a very, very creative guy. I'd like to see him cast in um, the next Alien movie. I'd like to see... I mean, if he's going to actually do the dressmaking, I'd be interested to see the dresses that he designs. <laughs> I'd be genuinely interested to see because Daniel Day-Lewis is just a fascinating man. I mean, you know, he could read out the, the telephone book and it'd be he'd get an audience. I'd, I'd like to own, you know, one of the pairs of shoes that he made, or some furniture that he'd knock together. I think he's, he's they'd sell like hotcakes if he suddenly mm-hmm. came out with Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, you know, his own range of bespoke shoes. Mm. Um, they'd be high end, coveted. Um, rather like, um, rather like David Bowie. He's kind of a multidisciplinarian artist who's known for one thing in particular. Because mm-hmm. Bowie just had a go at everything. I think stand-up comedy was the only thing he never turned his hand to. And, <laughs> and given the chance, he would have had a go. Mm. Um, and Day-Lewis seems to be the same. Acting is the thing he's known for. But really, he's just a creative guy who just does creative things in all directions. Yeah, I don't think we've heard the last of him. Regardless of what he says about, about uh, dressmaking, uh, we'll see. We'll see. But um, I think... 
if this is his farewell, or at least his or It's a very nice... His au revoir. Little, it's, mm. it's the right note yeah. to end with. Right, yeah, number two. Right, this one's, this one's going to be a bit of an effort. <laughs> Second worst film of the year was Blade Runner 2049. Right. Chris, uh, did you see this? Okay. <laughs> I didn't see this. And, again, I'm aware that everything I now say is bracketed with, but I saw Geostorm. <laughs> I never liked Blade Runner very much. I find it a bit boring. Just press this cushion onto your face, Chris. <laughs> it's okay. It's I, for I, the best. I won't struggle. <laughs> I'm aware, and I'm aware that this probably makes me a bad person, but I just... Blade Runner never never pushed my buttons particularly. And so, hey, they're doing a sequel to that film that everyone else likes and you don't. Mm. I, yeah, I can understand that reaction. But... I mean, I think Blade Runner is one of the greatest films ever made, so yeah. I felt rather differently. Um, it's, it's, God, watching it was just so dispiriting. They got everything wrong. They got everything wrong. The original works because you have a simple, basic story, and then you have all the subtext and world-building layered on top of it. So... Even at the most basic level, you can watch it and think, that is a nice, good, straightforward story about a bounty hunter hunting criminals. And it makes sense, and you just get it. And Blade Runner 2049 is almost totally incoherent. I had no idea what was going on from one minute to the next. Everything was focused on the details of the world, and there was no sense of the big picture. There was no sense of telling an overall story. It was all, no, we have to have themes of this and themes of that. And... and, and, and Things that don't make sense. Oh, yes, replicants can have children now. Why? I don't know. Um, The villain's blind. Why? I don't know. Oh, he's got a god God complex and he wants power. Power? That's kind of a boring motivation. Yeah, but it's it's important. And the film looks awful. I mean, Roger Deakins deserves an Oscar at some point. But this is the ugliest film he's made. It's just these washes of colour and people wandering around the desert doing nothing and then the, then Harrison Ford has a fist fight in the cinema and then they just stop after a while because maybe they're tired he's quite an old man yeah but it's not the years it's the mileage but, yeah, this is true. but Ryan Gosling should have been able to beat him to death in a second because it is an android versus a who knows yeah, but they, possibly and they, yeah they maintain the mystery of whether or not Deckard is a replicant and I thought really I mean I can see why you don't want to come down on one side or the other because that's kind of the point, but you're working so hard on doing everything all at once. Thanks to Chris and Anthony for making time for this recording. Cinema Limbo is now on Apple Podcasts with almost 50 episodes available, so please download, subscribe and review. We're also on Patreon and on Twitter at cinema underscore limbo. Please tune in next time for the second part of this exciting adventure. have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com.